Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. This is Mission Sunday. Now, since COVID, we've been just having to rearrange all that, and we're not always able to do things exactly like we had done pre-COVID, but I don't want that to slip out of our awareness. This is Mission Sunday, and really every Sunday is Mission Sunday. This is is just the Sunday I get to stand up here and say this to you. So please, uh, many of you um, in Missions Convention last year made a commitment to care and connect for our missionaries. Trust me when I say to you, right now they need your love, your care, and your connections more than they've ever needed it before because It was always hard, and now it's harder than ever. Raising finances, raising funds, staying on the field, all of those things. So will you do that? Will you please make it a priority? Pray for your missionaries. Our our missions team does a good job of keeping our table out there in the corner updated with contact information and with the latest newsletters. If you don't see that, visit that uh, every so often. Please do, uh, just so you know what is going on around the world and what you're doing to make a difference around the world. Your prayers, your cards, your birthday reminders, your, hey, I love you on your anniversary, um, your finances, all of those things absolutely make a difference. So please uh, continue to care and connect with our, our missionaries. Let's take a moment this morning and let's pray over the finances of our church, of our families, which really is our church, and of our missionaries. Can we do that? Will you agree with me this morning in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do pray over the finances of of the families that are are, our souls harbor. God, I ask, is each week we do in one form or another, we ask you to bless. We ask you, God, to open up opportunities. We pray, God, that you give and bring about uh, opportunities for raises and advancements. We pray that you provide employment. We pray, God, that you would simply do this. Bless your people, not, God, because... We deserve it, but God, because we want to be used of you to bring the kingdom into this world. Bless them, Lord. And we pray over our missionaries, Lord. We ask you, God, so many of them right now are struggling financially. We pray, Lord, that you would open up opportunities to speak, to preach in churches, and God, to gain financial support that way. But God, this morning, we pray for bigger miracles than that. We pray, God, let our missionaries find favor with businesses find favor with individuals, find favor with, with, with places and people outside of the, the usual church, God, that they will be financed and funded, and Lord, your kingdom will be brought into this world. Lord, we pray that you lift their hearts and their spirits and encourage them, Lord, in, in these times. Let them be reminded, God, you're for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, grab them. We're going to be in the early parts of Genesis um, this morning. We're going to be in several different places. We're going to be in chapter 5, I believe, a little bit, chapter 6, a little bit, chapter 9. So go ahead and kind of get in that area. And uh, let me just share this morning something. as As I prayed this week and I read this week and I prepared this week, I felt like God say to me to say to you three things. Make sure you're in the right house. Make sure your house is prepared. And know this, God is always for you. I think I put in a little different wording than that, but God is for you. Those are the three things this morning 
uh, I want you to walk out of this place knowing and remembering. And let me share with you a little bit of what that means and um, what I believe God said to share with this congregation this morning. Did you ever think back in March when the world had its first, at least in our lifetime, pandemic, that we would roll around to September and the biggest concern on most of the minds of voters in America would not be the pandemic, but would be the violence in the streets. Did you ever think that would happen? If you'd have asked me in March, what is going to be the biggest issue in the elections in November, I would have said COVID-19 without a doubt. I don't see how it could go any other direction. Yet, here we stand September 6th, and I think it's fair to say that the biggest issue in most of our Many of our voters' minds, oh, oh, COVID's not gone. We haven't forgot about it, but it seems to be the violence going on in the streets of America. We are coming up on, if we're not there already, 100 days of rioting in Portland. 100 days. 30, 60, 90, if my math is anywhere close to right, that's over three months now, a quarter of a year, we've been dealing with that in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Baltimore, L.A., San Diego, and a whole lot of other places. Does it feel like the world's gone crazy? I doubt if we'd be completely honest. There's a person sitting here this morning that would uh, say, you know, my anxiety level's no higher now than it was last year. It's all, it's, if you tell me that, it tells me you're either on Valium or a lot of Benadryl. Which, I don't know, I'll be honest with you, there's days I get out of bed and I think maybe a little Benadryl might be, do me some good. I go and watch YouTube and I, Ruthie, where's the, where's the, where's the bottle? I need that Benadryl. And I'm not saying it's keeping you up at night. And look, maybe it is, and I certainly could understand that, but I, I think we're all living with a heightened aware that we're in some unique times. The world's gone crazy. come to a point in this world, in this country, in this culture where if you try to have a conversation with somebody and simply say that there are men and women, you're labeled a fearmonger, a transphobic, a number of things. If you try to have a conversation with somebody and say that, that look, I believe that Everybody, regardless of race, ought to be treated the same, and people need to be treated fairly, but I don't think anybody that picks up a gun and fires it at a police officer should expect anything else but to be fired back at. You're a racist. The world's gone crazy. The people that are have been for many years arguing we need to begin to limit the rights of American citizens to bear arms and to have uh, guns are the same people that are now, many of the same people that are now arguing we need to defund the police. We don't need them anymore. The world's gone crazy. I felt like this morning as I, or this week as I was preparing this, God said, you need to let people know this isn't the first time. I'm not caught by surprise. I've seen this all before. 
And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of places scripturally and historically I could have gone this morning with this message, but I really did. I felt like Genesis was the place to go. And I want to look at Genesis 9, 5, and 6 this morning. And I want you to see a world that's gone crazy. And here's, here's the interesting part. This, this first passage that I'm going to read, okay, this is actually, you, you all know the story of the flood, right? I, I think with this crowd, I'm good. I don't have to give the backstory of the flood. And no, I think you all are there with me, okay? Um, God judged the world. There was a flood. Noah and his family got on the ark. So this, what I'm getting ready to read to you is, is, is something God said, a, a, a commandment God gave, a direction God gave after the flood had taken place to just Noah and his generations. And this is what he said. He said, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. In other words, if you take a life, expect to lose your life. You commit murder, expect to pay for that murder with your life. It got codified, made into code, made into law. As we move into Leviticus 24, it says this, and you can, you can, it's 17 through 20 if you want to turn there, but let me just read it. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Can you imagine what our system would look like if we actually li- Can you imagine if we lived that? You break somebody's arm, your arm gets broke. You, you, you take out somebody's eye, your eye gets taken out. I mean, there's a part of us that thinks, okay, well, that seems fair and just. But then on the other hand, we're thinking, I, I would, if, you can ima- if you can put yourself actually living in that culture, that society, from where we are today, that's pretty, that's pretty rough. Here's what I want you to see, though. That standard right there, after the flood, was an incredible improvement over where mankind had been. Say, Pastor Barry, what do you mean? Because the standard prior to God giving that standard to Noah and then later putting it into the Mosaic Law was this. If you kill my brother, I'm going to kill your entire family. If you slaughter my family... I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy and slaughter and, and, and completely annihilate your entire village. You kill an adult in my family, I'm going to kill your entire, including the children. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those were the days that preceded Noah. They were brutal. And, 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 and God came along and said, I'm going to make it a little better post-flood. I'm going to tell you this, at least keep it equitable, at least keep it just. If an eye for an eye, an arm for an arm a life for a life. And then Jesus came along and he said, you know, they say in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye. He said, I tell you this, somebody slaps you on the left cheek, turn and let them slap you on the right. Somebody takes your cloak, give them your your coat also. Jesus comes along and says, let me tell you about mercy and let me tell you about grace. Jesus takes it a step further. But I want you to see the conditions in the world pre-flood, pre-Noah. It was brutal. It was It was brutal. We get a little bit more of that story if we look back in chapter 6 of Genesis. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you take that literally? Imagine living in a world where every man got out of bed in the morning and every thought that went through his mind from the time he got up until the time he laid his head down at night. Every man, every woman, every child 
was on evil continually. How can I hurt? How can I cause harm? How can I injure? How can I fulfill my own lust? Evil. Talk about a world gone crazy. Every intent of the heart, of his thoughts, of his heart was on evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him into his heart. Listen, I don't think we can overestimate what that was like. Do, do you understand what that says? God of the universe, God of all creation, made man in his image and called them his children. Now listen, if we'll be honest this morning, every one of you have had a moment in time where your kids pushed you to the edge and you're like, what was I thinking? Fair? But you got over it really fast. And you probably never thought, man, I'm really sorry I had those children. I don't know, maybe they pushed you that far somewhere along the line. But can you imagine the God of the universe looking at his children, his creation, and regretting that he had made them on the earth? It grieved, it broke the heart of God. We read in chapter 6, 11 through 13, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth was filled with with violence. Let me talk to you about the road to crazy, okay? All right? Make sure you're in the right house this morning. I hope when you leave here this morning, you'll have stopped and really thought at your heart and your life and make sure you're in the right house. You say, Pastor Barry, what do I mean by that? Man did not just wake up one day and decide, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I think from this point on, I'm going to be just nasty, mean, evil. It was a process to get there. And I want to show you a couple things. Genesis 4, 17 through 24 gives us this outline, a genealogy. There was this guy by the name of Cain. You all familiar with him? Adam and Eve had two sons. The older was Cain. Younger was Abel. Cain went into the into the into the fields and killed his brother, committed murder. And God removed him, chased him, forced him to leave um, the area that he'd been living in outside of Eve and or outside of Eden. And Cain went on and had his own family. Cain had Enoch. Enoch had Irad. Irad had Mahajel. Mahajel had Methusel. Methusel had Lamech. Count those up. How many generations are there? That would be seven. Seven is kind of that number that we usually, many times biblically, we see is its, its fullness, its completeness. And we find something when we come to that seventh generation about Lamech. It says in Genesis 4, it tells it, it, it just, and we, I've read this many times and just passed over it. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zilah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. I want you to see something. Look, look at the way that's formatted. Now, you may not think too much about that, but I want to explain something to you. When, it, when you see in your Bible um, text that's centered like that, it, it's, it's, it's set up the way that is, those middle scriptures, it, it, ought to t- it tells you something. That's poetic. That's poetry. 
Here's what happened. Cain's descendant, seventh from, or from Adam, seventh descendant, he went out and committed murder and killed a man. Okay, that's horrible. Well, you know what's even more horrible? He came back and he was so proud of himself that he wrote a poem about his violence. And he took it to his wives and said, Hey, wives, look at this. Look what I've done. Look, look, at, look at my entertainment. Look at my poetry. Look what, I've, what, look what I've done. And he wrote that. as Now, it doesn't translate into English very well as poetry, but that was poetic. That was poetry that he gave to his wife, Ada and Zyla. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Of Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. You see... Man did just, the world didn't just go crazy, but it was seven generations of Cain killing Abel and him passing that on to his son, who passed it on to his son, who passed it on to his son. You know, the world just doesn't naturally by itself get better. To the point we hit generation number seven and people are actually celebrating and writing poetry and making movies and making television shows. and, and, And I read years and years ago the rise and fall or pieces of it the rise and fall of the roman empire one of the reasons that was attributed to the fall of the roman empire that existed for thousands of years was they came to the place where they glorified violence remember gladiators what was that movie a bunch of years ago now um about a gladiator you guys somebody shaking their head it just out of my head Russell Crowe, what was the name of that movie? Somebody knows it. Oh, well, okay, there you go. Thank you, Scotty. It's called Gladiator. (laughs) No wonder it wasn't clicking. I was already saying it. The fall of Rome came because they celebrated violence to the point they would put men and women into the arena to slaughter each other in battle and to slaughter innocents that they had chained. Is America headed that way? Listen, guys, I love a good football game. I play football. My wife doesn't get this. You ladies probably won't get this. I think you guys probably will. There's nothing that feels better in this world than putting your shoulders down and leveling that guy that's on the other side of the line coming at you. There is no, for a man, there is nothing better in this world than putting him on his back and watching the look in his face as the air goes out of his lungs for about 15 seconds. There is nothing in this world that feels better. You ladies, based on my wife, do not. she looks at me and says, why does that, I don't know other than to say, God made men with heart of a warrior. Right? I get that. I, she comes home and I'll be watching. I love to go back and watch old boxing matches. You can get them on YouTube. I love to watch Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard back when boxing was exciting stuff. I love to watch those matches. I just enjoy it. And she comes in and says, why do you like that? I said, I don't know, but I just do. I've thought about going and taking some self-defense classes. I thought about going and getting involved in um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is kind of a wrestling sport. But then I think I'm 54 and my hip hurts and my back hurts and my knee's not right and that will not end well. It'll just end badly. So I go back and watch some more boxing matches on YouTube. 
we were up a few weeks ago at Austin's house, and he had MMA, the, the, new, the new boxing on, MM, MMA, and I was watching a couple of those guys early in the match because he's like me. He's too cheap to pay for the, the actual pay-per-view matches, so we watched him going up to the pay-per-view match. And, and those early, early matches, I don't know if any of you watch MMA or not, mixed martial arts, but a couple of those earlier matches, like real early matches, I'm looking at them guys and saying, okay, that guy is just chubby. I'm in better, phys- I got a better physique than he does, and I got a very, 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 I got a grandpa bod, okay? And it was, it was, it was horrible, but Austin enjoyed watching it, so I sat and we watched some MMA with him. I, I get all that, but we've come to the place in America where we've glorified violence beyond just that natural warrior instinct in us men to where it's now, I watched, I watched in, I think it was Portland, a senior lady standing in front of a federal building, some of you may have seen this, with a mob out there. And I watched men who stood 6, 8, 10, 12 inches above her who were in their 20s with bandanas around their face. I watched them come up to her and aggressively get in her face and point their finger at her and curse her and shout at her. I watched somebody from the crowd take... I don't even know what it was, some kind of liquid, and throw it into her face. We, we, have, have we elevated violence in our culture to the point where it's gone beyond that warrior nature that God puts inside of men to where now it's become, let's just hurt people for fun, and the more we can hurt them. It's one thing for two men to get into a boxing ring together. It's another for a man to attack somebody that's unarmed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I read Genesis and I think, God, we're headed that way. I, I look at Rome and I think, God, are we headed that way? And it sure does feel like we are. How do you get there? Well, you see it. You see what happened with the house of Cain. You see it. But let me give you another path this morning. Um, Genesis 4.25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And we see a genealogy that's laid out for us in Genesis 5, 1 through 32 of the life of Seth. And this is what we get. Adam had Seth, the brother of Cain, who had Enoch, who had Canaan, who had Mahalal, who had Jared, who had Enoch. And Enoch's not supposed to be in there twice. Spellcheck did something to me there. Enoch was the seventh one. And I want you to see this in Genesis, Genesis 5. Lamech killed a man and wrote a poem about it. And it but we tell, it, we're, we're told in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, when Enoch had lived 65 years, seven generations from Adam on Seth's side, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. It doesn't mean that God, he died. God translated him took him. Two paths, two houses, the house of Cain, the house of murder, the house of violence, the house of horrendous things, the house of pursuing whatever makes me feel good, ended up with Lamech writing a poem about taking the life of another human being, the house of Seth, the house of pursuit of God, the house of loving God, the house of walking with God, the house of prayer. It ended up with Enoch, the seventh generation, who was so much with God, walked so close to God that God finally said, you know what, Enoch, you're unique among all people to this point, and you're not going to die. I'm going to translate you and take you. 
house of Cain, the house of Seth. My point this morning, what I want you to, I, I want you to look at your heart, and I, wanna, I, I just want to say to you, make sure that you're of the correct house. The house of Cain or the house of Seth. You want to know what I'm talking about this morning? You say, how do I tell that? If you read over in the Gospels, we get the genealogy of Jesus. And, and, there, and I think it's in Luke. If you look at the genealogy in, of, of, of Jesus and Luke, do you know which house Jesus came from? From the house of Seth. Jesus was the... Come here, Scott. Stand right there, because you've got to keep six feet from me. Really, really important. Turn around. All right, I'm going to need your fingers. Put your hands up. All right, put, put it like this. All right, so Jesus was the great, 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 I probably need Kyle too, but we won't do that. Grandson of Seth. Thank you, Scotty. Do you understand what I'm saying? What was that song we sang this morning, Cheryl? thousand generations which house are you a part of this morning which house are you a part of this morning are you a part of the house of Cain or are you a part of the house of Seth the house of Jesus make sure this morning make sure this morning make sure this morning that you put your heart in a place you're a part of the house of Seth the house of Jesus now listen, that would be good advice, that would be good preaching any time, any place, anywhere, any, any, any point in history, but where we're living right now in America, it's even more important than it's ever been before. Because we find ourselves approaching that level of violence, that level of evil, that level of crazy that brings us to the place where God has to step in and say, enough is enough is enough, and I, I, I'm going to bring judgment. And it's hard for us Americans to get our head around that. Because we've been so blessed for so long. How can America ever be anything than what it is? Were you all, how many of you were surprised on 9-11? When 9-11 took place, how many of you were shocked? I'm just going to tell you where I was. When 9-11 took place, it was a shock to me that anybody in this world hated us that badly. I was completely unaware of it. If you would have asked me the day before September 11th, it, would America be in the condition that it's in across the next number of years? I would have said no, absolutely. Oh, we've got people that don't like us. Those Russians, they don't like us. I mean, there's people that they don't like us, but no. We were shocked. We were, we were, we were startled. We couldn't believe it. We were blindsided. And, and I want to say to the church this morning, don't think because America has been what it's been for the last 10 years or the last 20 years, years or the last 50 years or the last 100 years that we can't wake up tomorrow and it be yet again a completely different world. I was listening to a... a he was an analyst. He was a... Um, Expert, uh, he had. I think a reporter was part of. As a reporter, was part of his history. And somebody had asked him this question: What would civil war in America look like? And I'm going to tell you the truth. If you'd have asked me six months ago if there was any likelihood of civil war in America, I would have just dismissed it, discounted it as a little crazy. This is what he said. He said the first civil war in America was north versus south. It was 
built to some degree around states' rights versus federal rights and, and, and the black, white, slave-free issue. He said, I've, this is what he said, he said, I have covered, I covered the Civil War in Colombia. Colombia, South America has gone through, come out of now a civil war they, they went through for years. He said, this is the way it looked in Colombia. He said, I think America, if they face this, this may be more what it's oriented towards. He said, in Colombia, he said, the far left took control of the cities. He said, militarily, he said, they took control of the cities. He said, the far right, they ended up, they, for, in large part, had the, uh, the agricultural areas. They had the farmlands. They, they had, they had the, the biggest um, areas, the most geogra- geographical areas in the country. They controlled that. He said the, the, the war wasn't between east, west, north, south. He said the war was between the far left in the cities and the far right in the, in the farmland, and it was fought in the suburbs. He said it was fought in the suburbs. And I think, wow, that's crazy. And then I look at what is going on in Portland and Seattle and New York and Chicago and people are fleeing the cities as fast as they can get out of them, and the tax base that was there to maintain their programs is fleeing the city with those that are leaving the cities, and we're looking at a place where the only ones left in the cities will be the far left, and we're seeing people fleeing. We're seeing people buying um, guns like never before. I wake up one day and I, I look, at, look at Chicago and all of a sudden people have come from the inner city to what in many ways is the suburbs. They've gone to the, a place that I've been where the museums are, where, where the stores are, and they're beginning to destroy and riot. Make sure you're in the right house. This isn't prophetic. At least I don't claim it to be prophetic. I sincerely hope it isn't prophetic. You can take it how you choose to take it, and I'm hesitant to even preach and talk about and teach the things I'm talking about this morning. If they had been weighing heavily on my heart for a long time, I, I, I wouldn't. Because most people will look at you, at least they would have looked at you three months ago, like you're crazy. We've got an election coming in less than 100 days. Less than 70 days, I believe now. I listened to the woman who ran for the Democratic Democrat side, Hillary Clinton, last time. I, I watched her say these words out of her own mouth. No matter what happens, no matter what takes place, under no circumstances should Joe Biden concede the election, no matter what, under any circumstances. Do not concede. If you don't believe me, you can YouTube it. It's on Fox News. It's on, I don't know where all you might find it. It's, it's out there. It's clear. It's her. She makes the statement recently. Because the idea has become we will win this in the courts or we will win this in the streets But if we don't want it in the ballot box, we will win this.
try not to get super political. I've gotten more political in the last two or three months than I probably ever have in my life. But I will just say this. If you want to see what America will look like with the far left in control, look at California. John MacArthur right now is fighting for the life of his church governor at one point had said, you know what, you can't even sing in church because you might spread the virus. You, you want to know what America will look like under the far left? And I say that that way, so, so hear me on this. I say that on this way, the far left, because there's a lot of people that, are, that vote Democrat or have voted Democrat that, that are right there in the center, and, and, and there's a whole lot of overlap, okay? They're, they're about some things that are really important. They are traditional Democrats, and they're traditionally the ones that, that voted for strong jobs and the working-class man and blue-collar, and, and I get that, and maybe some of you are even there, and that's not the left I'm talking about. I'm talking the far far left that's all about the, 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 the extreme positions, the extreme social issues, it does not bode well, well for America or for Christians. Make sure you know what house you're in. If Donald Trump wins... fear is, my concern is, the rioting we've seen in the streets is just a light, light prelude to what we'll see after the election. Know for sure which house you're in this morning. And please, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not looking to be, I'm not trying to be the fear mongerer pastor, the guy that's preaching the drama, preaching the conspiracy theories. I, I hope you know me well enough to know I, I steer away from those things. But I don't want us to wake up the day after the elections as shocked and startled as we were the day after 9-11. Make sure you know which house you're in. Because here's the thing, and let me bring this to a close this morning. First thing God said to just say to the church was make sure you know which house you're in, the house of Seth rather than the house of Cain. But the second thing he said was this. He said, make sure that you tell people, make sure that people know, know two things. Prepare your house. God told Noah, build an ark because Noah was found righteous. And if you're in the house of Seth, the house of Jesus this morning, don't be naive. Don't be blind. Prepare your house. Say, Pastor Barry, I have. I've got thousands of rounds of ammunition stored in my crawl space. I'm good to go. I've got my freeze-dried foods and my water supply and my filters, and I'm good to go. Well, if that's what being prepared means to you, that I'm, not, I'm laughing, but I'm really not mocking because... Who knows? I may be knocking on your door saying, can I stay here, okay? My bread just ran out. Help. So I'm laughing, but I'm not mocking. What prepared for you means is something you got to decide. But let me just start with this. Prepared, first of all, means make sure your life is right with Jesus. Make sure your heart's right. Amen. It means get your finances in order. I will go that far to the best of your abilities. 
to the best of your ability. Debt's not a good place to be to the best of your ability. Prepare yourself. Beyond that, I would say just simply this. Seek God. I suggest you go to prayer to find out what it means to be prepared rather than go to YouTube. Because YouTube will have you buying freeze-dried packages for $1,000 from Jim Baker or somebody else that's selling them out there, okay? And if, if, if the Holy Spirit speaks that to you, then you go buy it. Fair? And I sincerely may be at your house asking for bread at some point. I don't know. But be prepared. Prepare yourself. Say, Pastor Barry, well, what if, what if November rolls around and we have an election and it's no big thing? Well, then your heart's still right with Jesus and you got, you got out of as much debt as you could and we can all celebrate together and praise Jesus and wonderful, right? God said, say three things. Make sure you're in the right house. Prepare your house. And the last one is this. Listen to me this morning. God is always faithful. Whoever wins the election in November, God is always faithful. Wherever hardship comes from, from Christians, God is always faithful. I will say this, I will give you this, I, I, will, I will just this, this thought. Um, many times, the righteous will go through hardship because of the judgment of the evil. So Pastor Barry, I don't know that I believe that. I don't know that I agree with that. Think this through with me. Noah and seven other people got on that ark. They were on that ark for a very, very long time. Can I just tell you this morning, it wasn't a cruise ship. It was not a good time. They did not have a buffet. They were on there with animals that they were the caretakers of. It wasn't very big, and it was not a lot of fun, and they lived with the reality that everybody they'd ever known was dead or dying. That's hard. That's hard. Righteous Noah, who God had built the ark, who he put on the ark, who he blessed after the ark, righteous Noah went through some really, really hard times because of the judgment that was placed upon those that were evil. And I would say to you this morning, God is faithful. God is faithful, but prepare your house because Christians may go through some really hard times because the way God ultimately has to judge America, judge this world because of their evil. There's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. If you happen to believe that Christians never suffer, Christians never go through hard stuff, Christians never have to deal with the consequences of an evil nation, okay. But don't be surprised if you wake up one day and realize judgment is coming, it's going to impact your family. Make sure your house is prepared. Fair? And at the same time, go to bed at night, go to bed tonight knowing God is faithful. Noah, when it was all said and done, you can stand this morning with me. Noah, when it was all said and done, him and his family came off the ark, and it says God blessed him. God was for him. 
And then it says, and I, I could read it, but I won't this morning. God came to him, and you know what God did? God said to Noah, Noah, today I'm, I renew, I make a covenant. I've talked a lot about covenant. I make a covenant with you and your family. God is faithful. God is faithful. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning over the families of Souls Harbor. It's been a sobering message. But I pray this morning that every man and woman and child standing in this room would make sure that their heart is in the right place with you, that they're of the right house, that they've confessed their sins, that they've asked you to forgive them of their sins, that they've asked you to live in their heart, and they've chosen to follow after Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Lord, that you give us as the people of God wisdom to prepare for whatever may come down the road at us, to prepare for whatever fallout may come from judgment, to prepare, Lord. And God, I I pray this last piece, Lord, placed deep in our heart, each one of us, the confidence that God is always faithful. We love you, we praise you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor@indy.rr.com.